Jarvis, drop my needle. Hi there, and welcome to Baseball by Design. I am SportsLogos.net minor league baseball correspondent Paul Caputo, broadcasting live, as always, from the Sunday Helmet Hall of Fame in my basement in Fort Collins, Colorado. This week, we're going to be talking about the High A Aberdeen Ironbirds, a Baltimore Orioles affiliate who play in Aberdeen, Maryland. Later on in this episode, I'm going to be speaking with their in-house designer, KJ Jimenez, and I'll be speaking with Dan Simon, who's here with another of his Studio Simon Stumpers. Right now, I am so pleased to be joined not only by the general manager of the Aberdeen Ironbirds, but a former player of the team, Jack Graham. How are you doing? Thanks so much for being here. I'm excellent. Thanks for having me. Thanks for inviting me on the show. Well, I'm super pleased to be talking to you about this. I have to, I want to delve into this first. Uh, I don't know that I've ever spoken to a general manager of a team who was a former player. You played for a couple of seasons, eight, 10 years ago. Yeah. What is it like being the general manager of a team that you used to play for? You know, it's great because I was not a tremendously talented professional baseball player. Viewers should not look up my statistics. <laughs> um, I was a I was an OK Division three baseball player who got a shot to ride the bus for a few years. And so when I got to Aberdeen, um, I played with Austin Wins and Chance Cisco and Jonah Heim. And um, and all of those guys ended up being big leaguers uh, as catchers. And so as the fourth guy in that group, uh, plus there was another guy who was also a catcher here in Aberdeen over the course of that 2013 season, um, I didn't have a tremendous amount of opportunities on the field, but I got to see how a minor league baseball team works, right? You know, celebrate uh, ceremonial first pitches, uh, sponsor meet and greets on the field, uh, post-game kids run the bases. I really learned a ton from the Ironbirds about what minor league baseball is like outside of the nine innings of baseball, right? Outside the white lines. Um, and so I came into working for the Ripken baseball organization after my playing days. And I at least had an inkling of, okay, this is more than just baseball. Um, and so it's been really fun that now in my ninth summer with the club to be, um, to be working on the other side of it and, and having worked my way up to be general manager. So when you played with the team, uh, in 2013 was the first season where they had the, what I have always thought of as the Sam Eagle logo. It was a logo I liked very much. It reminded me of uh, the Muppet character, Sam Eagle. You know, it yes, looked, it, it was, you know, a, a much more serious brand, you know, yeah. with, with the with the eagle, the sort of this very metallic looking eagle and the yes. you know, metallic colors. And that replaced a brand that the team had had uh, from 2002 to 2012 with mm -hmm. this sort of cartoony airplane jet fighter that has since been reprised as of last season uh, or at least a yeah. version of it uh, sort of a, uh, uh, the the natural descendant of uh, that mm -hmm. that logo that lasted for 11 years you were with the team you know you played with the team under the the Sam Eagle logo not Sam the yeah. Eagle by the way it's like Smokey Bear there is no the in Smokey Bear there Fair is enough. no the in Sam Eagle but you played with that Sam Eagle brand and now as general manager you oversaw a transition into a, a much different, a much more kid-friendly, much more uh, sort of cartoony brand. Yes, this is a this is a podcast about minor league baseball logos. What was your thinking in sort of guiding that process along of of changing the brand, the the, the whole sort of nature of the brand of this team? Sure, honestly, it felt really natural when it was happening. So you're right that we call it the Angry Bird logo. Um, <laughs> nice. uh, not to rip off the the uh, app that I spent way too much time on five years oh, yeah. ago, but oh, yeah. <laughs> um, we we 
looked at that logo and we looked at how it sort of felt out of place in a, uh, um, you know, 2010s, uh, early 2020s sort of uh, environment in minor league baseball that spawned teams like the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp and the Akron Rubber Ducks and the um, the Rocket City Trash Pandas, teams that had really approachable, friendly logos. Um, and so we felt like it was sort of an opportunity for us to bring those that next generation of Ironbirds fan into the fold. Uh, I love what you say, kid-friendly and cartoonish, because that's exactly what the goal. Um, we were trying to be um, something that people did not feel was intimidating. Um, you know, win or lose, the team should be a brand that people can feel comfortable being a part of. And um, our graphic designer, who I think you're going to talk to later, KJ Jimenez, he came to us from the Brooklyn Cyclones, having done a tremendous amount of work for them over the uh, 15 or 16 years he was with them. And when he came into the fold, he looked at that old uh, fighter jet logo from the first 10 11 seasons and he said i think i can help i think i can mm -hmm. take this and and revitalize it um he gave it a second eyeball which always it was always very weird that we had a cyclops uh, logo uh airplane um he <laughs> beefed it out a little bit it's a little chubbier fluffier mm -hmm. friendlier looking um it's got a smile on the face mm -hmm. uh, and we call him ace the jet and nice. he he's so friendly and we actually introduced him starting i would i want to say like 2019 was the first time we used him on like a piece of giveaway merch or something. Mm. And so he he's so great. And we started sort of slowly introducing him. And when we went to put him on a hat, Major League Baseball said, hey, is this trademark protected? And we said, oh, we probably should do that. <laughs> and so we went through the process. We got it done. Um, and we planned a couple of years ago to have uh, 2021 be the first year of that rebrand so we said okay 2020 we're going to have the last year of the angry bird logo we're going to play through the summer 2021 being the 20th season it was planned to be the 20th, 20th season mm -hmm. we will unveil this new logo well you know 2020 no baseball 2021 we finished out one more year with the angry bird logo and 2022 which was not only the 20th season but also the 20th anniversary because of the missed season right. we got to debut this awesome new suite of graphics so it's a long-winded way of saying, you know, it sort of just happened, which I think is the best way for that sort of thing to happen. I kind of feel like every baseball team should skip one season so that the fifth anniversary and the fifth season are the same year, because that leads to a lot of confusion, right? Like It does. People, and... Yeah, people have to do math, and then you don't <laughs> want to ask anybody to do that. Exactly. So it, it's interesting to me, you named a couple of examples uh, of teams that, you know, had had uh, sort of, uh, you know, wacky brands. You said the the jumbo shrimp, the rubber ducks, and the trash pandas, all brandios brands. Um, yes, but you chose to work in house with KJ, yep. who, like you said, I'll be speaking to uh, later on in this episode. That is, uh, you know that that is that sort of bucks the trend that you see in in minor league baseball. There's a handful of firms out there that are all doing great work. Yeah, uh, and you know there there's. The, the the branding that you see from these big firms is, I think, responsible for a real revolution in, in minor league baseball logos. For sure. The decision to go in-house, obviously, you have a talented designer who uh, you know came to you with a lot of experience from another team, by the way, that had a not real cartoony logo, right? The Cyclones Correct. Is, is pretty serious. What led to the decision to, to work in-house uh, rather than going uh, outside to an outside firm? You know, honestly, we wouldn't have been able to do it without KJSA all the time that he 
is a unique talent in the industry because he could be freelancing and working for dozens of teams and, you know, probably making more money and working less hours because he wouldn't have to be at the ballpark uh, until 11 p.m. finishing up Saturday night games post fireworks. But he loves the industry. He um, helped the Kings Queens transition to the Brooklyn Cyclones. He has done a tremendous job. And honestly, I couldn't do half my job without him. Aside from being a creative as a creative graphic designer, he's also our IT guy. He's also our uh, person who oversees the press box where we have all of our, you know the video board, the graphics, the audio, the scorer, the uh, the, the line scoreboard, the PA announcer. He also helps us to write scripts and make sure that the way that the game is flowing makes sense. He helps to oversee the flight crew who throw the t-shirts and have fun at the field and um, get the get the crowd hyped up. So I cannot overstate how important KJ is to the team. Um, and the fact that he was able to take what was old and make it new um, and then do a couple of other things that I'm sure he'll speak on as far as the actual graphic design strategy the cohesiveness for us as a brand, you know, and also an homage to the Orioles. Um, there are uh, so many advantages that literally no other team in minor league baseball or any sports team probably in the world have that he offers. And to your point, Brandios does a great job for a lot of teams because they don't have someone like him. Mm. That Yeah, that's a great point. The uh, Typically, there's always pushback against a rebrand. And I wonder if the fact that this introduction was sort of gradual, that folks had seen this mark around the ballpark already before it became the the full-time primary brand, helped ease that transition, or was there pushback anyway and people want Angry Bird back? No, there was not really much pushback, especially inside the ballpark. Because the Ace the Jet logo looks uh, enough like the old logo, the people who were traditionalists, the people who were original Ironbirds season ticket holders in 2002 – they gravitated towards it. And we're doing tremendously well in merchandise the last two years, which obviously is a, an in incentive for teams to rebrand to begin with. Mm -hmm. But uh, to be honest, the biggest pushback came from inside the the organization because people were worried about uh, what fans would think and, and how they would react. And when I introduced the brand to Cal and Bill, um, who I love working for, and the Ripken family are so tremendous as far as being owners and being supportive and, and giving us the resources we need to achieve you know, minor league baseball success. Um, Bill goes, well, I kind of like the the other logo. It's kind of badass. And I go, yeah, man, it totally is. And that logo is not going away. We'll still have merch with that logo, but this logo is fun and friendly and, and it helps kids to engage with it. And it's not scary looking. And he goes, okay, well, you know, you're the minor league baseball guy. So good luck. And I'm lucky that, um, you know, people have gravitated towards it. So your point about gradualness and also, you know, the harking back to the previous logo, all of those things together have really helped. And then, um, you know, it, it's taken off where we're sending hats to California and Minnesota and Canada and all over the place um, has has helped as well. So you mentioned Cal and Bill. Uh, obviously, this is the Ripken family and they're involved yes. with this team. And in fact, if I understand, if, I, if memory serves, there was a, a movement when the team was first created that they would be called the Iron Men in favor of, you know, Cal Ripken, obviously the Iron, Iron Man. Man. But uh, Marvel had a problem with that. And sure. so uh, so is that where this was before your time? But have you heard that story? Is that is that uh, is that legend or is that real? That's not surprising to me. And if true, would not be surprising either. Um, I think that 
there's a couple of factors that probably played into that. And I've not heard that before, but it makes sense. Um, I think that Disney or, or Marvel, I suppose, because Disney at the time did not own uh, Marvel in 2002. Um, I think there probably was a little bit of hesitation about that. Um, and uh, if anything, it was probably a conversation where everyone agreed that that wasn't the right move. But the other thing that I think is a factor is honestly that Cal has always been very clear that the Ironbirds and Ripken Stadium and his legacy in Aberdeen is not about him. It's about his family. It's about his father. It's about the legacy that the Ripken family is leaving behind in baseball. When you talk to him about, you know, Ripken Stadium specifically, he says Ripken Stadium is not named for me. It's not named for Cal Ripken Jr. It's named for the Ripken way. It's named for doing things the right way, the way that dad would want to do it. He always calls him dad. Um, because Senior was a tremendous influence in his life, obviously, but in the lives of people in this community and around the country, Cal Senior had youth baseball clinics that he would do in towns around the country, not only when he was a minor league manager, but a major league manager. He would go out into the communities of teams that he was traveling to on the road and put on youth baseball clinics in cities. This is decades before reviving baseball in inner cities or uh, any kind of, you know, um, uh, youth baseball clinic that teams were putting on as part of their community relations. This was what senior wanted. He, he genuinely cared about growing the game and having it engage with uh, the youth baseball in the world, which obviously uh, helped Cal and Bill to start the Cowardton senior foundation as well, which those folks do a tremendous job. So it, even if it's true that we were playing with iron men as a concept, I think it plays too much to, you know, people wanting it to be about Cal junior and less about, what this team means to the community and to their legacy in, in baseball. Yeah, absolutely. I think I remember that that was part of the story as well as that Cal Ripken Jr. did not want a team named for him, even though he was sure. part of the ownership group. So the use of color uh, with not just the Ironbirds, but all of the Orioles affiliates has always been interesting. I feel like even before the realignment of minor league baseball, that the uh, Orioles have always uh, had a, a group of affiliates that were as close to the parent club as as any, right? And so yeah. right now that's the Norfolk Tides, the Bowie Bay Sox, the Delmarva Shorebirds, and then you all as the Ironbirds. This brand, this new brand that you're using now uh, has less orange in it than previous brands. It has some orange in it, but it was, yep. you know, if you were to look at it, you would say this, this, if you're placing it on the color wheel, it goes on on blue rather than on uh, on orange. For sure. It, was there a conversation about you know paying tribute to the parent club by using a little bit of orange, but establishing your own identity with blue, or was it just because that's what color a cartoon fighter jet might be? Well, you know the there was definitely an homage with the Orioles, and I'll let KJ speak on our word mark and the way that our script. Uh, interacts with with the Orioles specifically. Um, the blue, I think, is a little bit about um, the old Ironbirds uh, color palette back in 2002. We had light blue jerseys. We had light blue hats that I desperately want to try and get a hat, uh, get some my hands on the original Ironbirds hat. Um, but the I'm a seven and a quarter. In case any of your <laughs> listeners are uh, are interested, but the old palette was very much light blue, sky blue, planes fly in the sky. It gave us an opportunity to incorporate orange, which was not part of that original palette, but was uh, part of that 2013 rebrand. Um, it eliminated the black and the steel gray and the, or I should, I guess, say iron gray. Um, and it gave us an opportunity to be much more fun. And um, uh, it was definitely very intentional and gives us an opportunity to be a lighter 
friendlier brand, but still leaning towards, you know, yeah, there's orange in there. It's the Orioles and we have the script word mark that looks similar. And, um, you know, we're still the iron birds. How much of, of a part of your identity is the fact that you're an Orioles affiliate and how much of it is, you know, you'd be the iron birds regardless of, you know, whether the Orioles played, you know, an hour or two away. Right, for sure. I think that the identity that we have is inherently tied to them. Um, Iron Birds still leans towards Cal as the Iron Man and the Orioles as the birds. Um, and I think that the best thing that we have going for us, at least in our community, is that the Orioles feel really strongly about their affiliation. And you were you were mentioning how all of their affiliates are fairly close geographically since Utica and Bluefield were no longer affiliated with the Orioles. And uh, that is beneficial because they bring out, you know, major league alumni to our community events. Like they brought Boog Powell to our uh, community event this past season or this current season. They uh, engage with us in their social media. They they push highlights out of the prospects. They uh, send their public relations people to cover our games when a prospect moves up for the first time um, or if a rehabber is here. We're very lucky in that way. But I would say that the thing, and this is not a graphic design or or logo related item, but the thing that's most important to us and that has been most beneficial to us is the caliber of person that they send to Aberdeen, both on the field and in the dugout. Hmm. Um, I just yesterday was lucky enough to be part of the ceremony where we gave Jake Lyons, Kyle Verbitsky, and Daniel Lloyd their Pitchers of the Month uh, awards for May, June, and July, respectively, which is amazing that we had all three Pitchers of the Month the last three months. Um, that's cool. We're very lucky to be in a great position prospect wise. Um, and, you know, I've done a dozen of these presentations over the last five years or whatever. And typically you hand them the trophy, they take a picture, you they hand it back, you go put it in their locker. Each of those guys in turn thanked me for being part of the ceremony, for helping them receive their trophy for, you know, just something that I, I've got to do. That's uh, and And so the caliber of person that the Orioles send is so important. And I know for a fact, not to get too deep into it, I know for a fact that if a guy is a mediocre ball player, but a tremendous person, he's going to get more opportunities to try and elevate himself professionally on the field than if somebody's a mediocre ball player and they're just not good to work with, they're just not a good clubhouse guy, uh, that guy's not going to get as many shots. And so I'm tremendously appreciative of the Orioles for the way that they demand that their players conduct themselves on the field and off. You know, you say that that's not part of the logo or the uniforms or, you know, the design, but it's all part of the brand, right? I mean, it's yes. all part of the the brand of the team and of the the whole organization. And so, yeah, so I think that that's an important uh, point to make uh, uh, about the Ironbirds. Last thing, and then I'll get you out of here. The success of the Orioles this year has been a lot of fun. Um, like I said, I'm a Phillies fan. I went yeah. to a game in Philadelphia. There was a three-game set. The Phillies took two of three. I saw the third. I saw the one that they did not win. So the place <laughs> was overrun with Orioles fans, and yeah. uh, you know, and it was it was a really fun atmosphere, right? Because the Orioles are fun to watch. They're young. Their defense is just terrific. I mean, they they yeah. took so many runs away from the Phillies in the game that I saw. It must be exciting for you as a minor league affiliate located nearby. Probably you've got players who you either played with or have, you know, seen come up through the team who yeah. are now part of this team. What what sort of relationship do you have now as a fan or as a professional with the fact that that the Orioles are having a certain amount of success right now on the field? 
For sure. It's we're very fortunate to be 25 miles from Camden Yards because we have the opportunity to get rehab assignments. We have the opportunity for Orioles staff to come and be a part of uh, Ironbirds game day. And their success recently has definitely translated directly to ticket sales, revenue and attention. Um, when the Orioles are good, people are very aware of all the guys who most recently were Ironbirds and who are now Orioles and also the guys who are Ironbirds now. Uh, who will eventually be Orioles. Uh, and the most obvious answer to that particular one is Jackson Holiday. Jackson spent 40 games in Aberdeen this year. And um, I have a little spreadsheet that I keep of, you know, sort of game by game, how many tickets we sold, how many dollars was that. And I can tell you that there is a financial impact to Jackson Holiday just physically being present in Aberdeen. And so um, that was tremendously helpful. And so between the Orioles being uh, arguably the best team in baseball, Jackson Holiday being the number one prospect in baseball, us being so close to our major league affiliate, there's so many reasons why we're we're thankful for that. And, um, you know, unfortunately, there are people who say, uh, you know what, I'm not going to go down to Camden Yards, I'm not going to go down into Baltimore, I'm not going to pay for a toll through the tunnel, but we benefit from that. And so we encourage them to go see the big club and go see the guys who played in Aberdeen but we're also thankful that the people who live in our community and around it are willing to come and see the future of Birdland. And um, we just are so excited for what is going to come next and, and the success that guys who played here, whether they were here for, you know, three or four days, or if they were here for a whole season, um, we're very lucky to, to have that be part of our legacy uh, going all the way up to the big leagues. I said earlier in the interview that you were an hour or two from the big league club. <laughs> I, I should know exactly where you are. I've driven past both Camden Yards and uh, the Ironbirds ballpark yeah. right there on I-95 more times than I care to count back and forth between Richmond and Philadelphia. So 25 miles from Aberdeen to well, Camden Yards. Yeah, I mean, it can be an hour if you pick yeah. the wrong time to drive. but it, <laughs> Especially uh, with that tunnel. Yeah, exit 85 to exit 53, it's just not that difficult. And yeah. um, we're very lucky to have have them as as basically neighbors. I actually one time challenged the um, the GM of the Bowie Bay Sox to a race. We would both get on a treadmill and see who could run the distance to the Major <laughs> League affiliate faster because he's pretty close as well. And yeah. so Brian and I, I don't think we'll ever do it. We're all getting old now. But um, he he and I have a, had a good back and forth on Twitter about that. And we're very lucky to all be part of the same neighborhood. And I'll give a shout out to my friend, Andrew Klein and Frederick, who's also uh, um, their former affiliate, but still considered uh, part of the Orioles community, part of the mm -hmm. Orioles family. And Frederick, Andrew's exhausted. He's got two teams playing in the same yeah. stadium, um, but he does a great job and is a great example of a true minor league grinder. Jack, this has been so much fun. Thanks so much for hopping on and talking about the Ironbirds. This is a, a really fun brand. Where can people find you on Twitter? Where can people find the Aberdeen Ironbirds on Twitter? Sure. Uh, we are on all of the social medias, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, we uh, are on TikTok. I haven't made a thread yet, but um, we are either at Aberdeen Ironbirds or we are at Ironbirds on all of those different social media. Uh, I am Jack Aaron Graham everywhere that you can find me. Uh, Jack, first name Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, last name Graham, G-R-A-H-A-M. On social media, um, please reach out. Please converse with me about minor league baseball. It's it's more than just a career. It's a passion, I think, for a lot of us. And um, please come visit us here at Lighthouse Field or Ripken Stadium. Uh, we've got five, six more games, September 5 to 10, and we'll be back next April. Thanks so much, Jack. Go Birds. 
go birds. That means something different to me, but go birds. Yes. <laughs>
where it was it was friendly to to look at it, but also giving you a lot of action and and making you feel like um uh, hey, this is something that I can wear as an adult, or you know I can put on a hat as an adult, but it doesn't look too youthful that I look silly, <laughs> you know, having it as a t-shirt or a hat or whatever. It's uh, it's still very minor leaguey in that uh, in that respect, but also it's fun to uh, it's fun to have as a as a hat or a t-shirt or you know anything that you might have the logo on. Part of your story individually is that you were with the Brooklyn Cyclones for many years. Uh, was it eighteen seasons that you were with Brooklyn? That is uh, that is correct. Yes. Okay. So you were with Brooklyn for you know almost two decades, and you know working in a very different market with a very different brand as an in-house designer. How did that experience, you know, that that longevity with one team inform decisions that you made, processes that you went through coming to a new team in Aberdeen? My my experiences with Brooklyn were life changing. And what I mean by that was uh, is uh, the the ability to be steeped in such baseball history without even doing anything um, <laughs> as a as a designer or to to that effect. And when I started there, I wasn't a designer. I was uh, doing I was in operations promotions. I was doing something okay. else. And then uh, an, uh, an opportunity presented itself where I can uh, I can be the graphic specialist, and that happened. And then I just went on from there. But the idea of the the rich history of baseball in Brooklyn and me loving baseball in itself and, you know, on top being a Mets fan, um, being uh, connected to a team that, uh, you know, was very special to me, mm-hmm. you know, that motivation of wanting to produce work over time, that opportunity gave me time to find what it is that uh, baseball design, or I should say sports design uh, means uh, not only to uh, not only to the people uh, who were who were Brooklyn fans, but uh, myself a designer. I grew as the team grew, as the history of the team in Brooklyn grew. So it was a huge influence with the opportunity that Steve Cohen, the uh, uh, the GM at the time, now the uh, uh, the the VP of the uh, of the Cyclones, and other uh, other people who gave me the opportunity to kind of like spread my wings and uh, try different things and be creative. And, uh, you know, some things didn't work, but some things did. And um, uh, those things, thankfully, I, I still still see have uh, have stuck since uh, since I've left. Uh, but, uh, you know, it uh, it was a it was a transformable place uh, for me as a as a as a uh, as a designer, but also someone who was working in sports. Absolutely. One of the things that the the cyclones sort of excel at is these promotional nights, uh, you know, really, you know, know, the the fun like Seinfeld things that they do. Now that you have fully entrenched yourself with the Ironbirds, uh, are there, are there alternate brands that you're working on? Are there things that, uh, that we might see from the team with, you know, the, the, the food frenzy or, you know, any, any, any other, any other brands coming up that, that you're working on that you're Um. allowed to talk about? Well, coming up for if you're talking about 24, I can't. I'm not going to reveal any of that. But yeah. um, things that we have done previously over the last uh, over the last uh, five six seasons, we were the uh, uh, the anglers uh, in 2018. And um, uh, this just recently, uh, we were the cookies this season. Uh, Harper County Cookies, the Chesapeake Bay decoys. We were uh, this season. And uh, let's see, the cookies. We were uh, uh, this uh, kind of started before I was here. But uh, I wanted to expand on it. The Aberdeen steam crabs, 
which was uh, very popular when it first started. And, uh, and then we had different uh, iterations when, uh, when I got here. So, and then we uh, kind of like straightened out what we wanted to do with it uh, over, uh, over the time that we were here. And uh, yeah, there have, been, uh, there, there have been a few that, uh, that we started here. The thing about Brooklyn and um, uh, uh, the one thing that uh, I definitely learned from them is that there are signature events that they have here, like, like Seinfeld. Mm -hmm. uh, which is a huge, wonderful thing, and I was I was very, very fortunate to be a part of uh, that uh, that whole um, uh, theme when it when it first uh, started. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I I didn't come up with the idea, but uh, be able to contribute graphically about you know what we put on the video board or anything that we would uh, uh, promote uh, social media wise or flyers etc. gave me uh, gave me the the ideas of what uh, uh, what we need to do to step something out. Uh, on our end to find a signature thing for for us going forward mm -hmm. we had the anglers we had the cookies this year we had the decoys which is uh um uh which is pretty special because it's it's very uh, it's very unique to the area because of the uh the history of uh decoy making uh here in in uh in aberdeen and Haverty grace uh, specifically uh which is uh you know just down the uh, uh the road from uh from aberdeen uh but also uh the steam crabs which is very much a maryland thing and uh, and it gave me you know more of a, an idea of what uh, what gets incorporated into what the team is about. Mm -hmm. uh, it's you know people in Maryland love their state. They love their flag. They love crabs. They love the bay. They love so many things about it that um, uh, I think that was a part of what needs to be added to to the logo, especially um, you know the the, uh, the outline of the state and and the flag itself. Like I said, so that uh, got incorporated in, incorporated into. Uh, other uh, alternate logos that uh, we ended up having uh, adding into our into our uh, uh, into our logo set. You're absolutely right about the Marylanders loving their their flag. You see it a lot. You see it a lot in sports branding. I live in Colorado, which is a place that loves its flag as well. You see flags. You see the Colorado flag sort of on everything. I grew up in Pennsylvania. I grew up outside of Philadelphia. I don't know that I could tell you what the Pennsylvania flag even looks like. So <laughs> that's in terms of uh, just getting back to the Ironbirds uh, brand itself, you know, being so close to Camden Yards and, you know, being an Orioles affiliate, but also in terms of minor league baseball, wanting to establish a, a unique individual identity. Um, you know, it's, I love that the Orioles have four affiliates that are pretty close. None of them are called the Orioles, right? Where for you, how do you walk that line between paying homage to the parent club and to the fact that the fan base in Aberdeen is, you know, almost certainly going to be Orioles fans, uh, but then also establishing a unique identity for that team. Trying to walk the line of, of paying homage to the Orioles, but also keeping our own identity uh, was kind of broken down in, in this kind of uh, uh, perspective. Having the having the orange and the script used in different ways uh, in the logo, uh, Ironbirds in Aberdeen um, uh, for the uh, for the road uh, for the road uniform, uh, those were prominent design structures that uh, that called immediately to the Orioles. Moving uh, moving away from the black and adding blue uh, instead just uh, just shifted the uh, the affiliation of who we are in terms of what the logo represents so um uh black is you know is is one of the best colors that any team can use for uh for a team to to make a statement of of, of who they are and and um the gravity of of um of where they are and in, in their logo i wanted to use blue 
to to keep it uh, to keep it more about uh, hey, uh, blue was used in the previous logo, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and it was part of uh, the original logo. So uh, it, it kind of moved away from the blue uh, in the second version, mm-hmm. and I wanted to bring it back. So uh, having the blue and in, in, in the orange having the same contrast um, that the black and the orange have but more uh, more returning to what the what the logo was originally the the uh, the original logo where it was more blue uh, blue and orange uh, to that extent all right I want to ask you one more question uh, before I let you go and it has nothing to do with the logo it has nothing to do with the team but I w- I was reading your your bio on the team website before you came on and and it says that you like to create synthwave music, customize cars, fix computers, and watch a wide variety of genres from engaging documentaries to terrible B movies. That's a lot of hobbies. That's a lot of interesting, diverse activities to to sort of keep you busy there. Does your synthwave music uh, ever make it to the field? Do your customized cars ever show up at, uh, in any sort of promotion? What uh, how do, do those hobbies? Uh, affect your your day job at all or are they just things you do for yourself um they're they're mainly do uh, things that i do for myself um it's uh you know i'm being a little creative there with uh with uh, <laughs> what, uh what i posted in my bio there it is true though i i do uh i do uh i do do those things uh yeah the cars are for myself i have uh i i have three cars and um uh one of them is a uh, 1999 uh, firebird which uh, originally was my father's Nice. And uh, I've been uh, I've been upgrading that as time goes along uh, since uh, uh, since I got it from him, and uh, I just uh, recently got a, a, a 2004 uh, Jetta GLS. Nice. And um, I'm like ripping it apart so I can put <laughs> LED in here, and I can like upgrade the radio there, and you know, and I'm finding out a lot. Uh, about, I love German cars, so that's uh, that's part of that process. But um, yeah, I have keyboards at home that are like uh, 15, 20, 30 years old that uh, that I've held on to uh, since I. Used to, I used to be, uh, I, I had a, um, uh, I had a production uh, uh, contract when I was uh, just out of college uh, in music. And, um, you know, I was in a recording studio and I was doing all like a whole bunch of stuff. Went nowhere, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I used to DJ and, and do all this other stuff. So, you know, that part of, of me is still kind of like it's still out there. Um, sounds that I created years ago, I still have on floppy disk. Nice. So, uh, yeah. So that, uh, that kind of stuff. And, you know, watching these movies. Um, and uh, these uh, these different types of uh, entertainment that um, you know vary the range of uh, one thing to another. Yeah. Um, uh, you know these terrible B movies that are so engaging for for what they offer, uh, and they just like they stimulate my uh, uh, my way of of uh, approaching um, other things that I do primarily. In this case, like uh, with design, it, it uh, simulates my imagination. Uh, when I see something horrible uh, in one of these <laughs> terrible movies. But uh, you know, be informed in, in something else that's uh, you know that's moving and, and very impressionable uh, from these documentaries, and uh, knowing the connection of you know the humanity the the, the humanity that we all carry within us mm-hmm. sometimes can be uh, can be found in something that you're looking at as simple as uh, you know a sports logo, yeah. and uh, and trying to uh, build a build a a, a device uh, such as a, a logo, a piece of artwork, a jersey, a hat. Um, can can uh, spark can can plant the seed of of a memory that will bring somebody back twenty years from now. That something that I designed that I completely forgot about yeah. means something special to them, and they always have it with them. 
And, you know, as a designer, I think that's important to remember that, that you may make something that you is a throwaway or you're not paying that much attention to or means a lot to you. Someone is going to make a connection with what you're making. And that is important for you to remember as you're putting something together that uh, that will influence them one way or another. I mean, I think that's, you know, I asked the question because I was I was intrigued by, you know, the sort of variety of interests. But it, it reinforces something that I've always believed, which is the best thing a graphic designer can be is well-rounded, right? And so all of these things, are, you're, you know, taking apart cars and computers and putting them back together, you know, is is very systematic and creative at the same time. Telling stories through music and movies and that sort of thing informs, I would think, the storytelling process that you go through with the the video boards, the logos that you create. And so, you know, I, I, I asked the question kind of as a joke, just because I was intrigued by it, but I also like, I, I love the answer that, that it's, that all of this informs the, you know, for, for a designer to be well-rounded and have, you know, diverse interests like that, I think really, uh, you know, brings value and, and perspective to the work that you do. So uh, I don't know. I think that that's pretty cool. Now that I, now that we sit here and talk about it, I think that that is very cool. Thank you. the 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 whole idea of of like taking parts uh, a computer or a car, just the problem solving mm-hmm. part of it that you know every designer has to go through. Yeah. In putting something together, I'm using the same sort of um, using the same sort of process in the in the in the way that I'm expressing myself with uh, with a computer or with music or. Um, uh, fixing whatever a light bulb, uh, installing an LED here when they're you know when it used to be something else, that kind of thing makes it uh, makes me feel satisfied that uh, I've approached the problem the same thing that you would as a as a designer, and trying to improve on it, trying to make it better, trying to um, make your life easier, mm-hmm. um, uh, in a way by uh, by what you're by what you're doing, and you know, and the satisfaction of making it work or saying like, hey, I figured it out or or I'm doing something unique and different, you know, swapping out a uh, incandescent bulb with an LED really doesn't, it really doesn't say, uh, Hey, you know, that's a unique thing to do, but uh, (laughs) more in the way of it couldn't be done the way it was set up or properly or how it was made like 20, 30 years ago, but you're installing something and then figuring out, figuring out a way of making it work that uh, that process, uh, you know, can be applied to to just about anything and, and obviously in design as well. Yeah. Well, I uh, replaced temporary tags with a permanent license plate. So uh, I'm no slouch either when it comes to this stuff. So. <laughs> <laughs> KJ, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for coming on and, and talking about all this and talking about uh, your design work and also your, your uh, varied other interests outside of design. Um, and uh, we appreciate appreciate having you on and uh i hope to get to uh, a game in aberdeen and and enjoy one of the ice cream helmets with your ace the jet logo on there so uh thanks again kj thank you i appreciate it to be on something like this is is uh it's it's uh, it's wonderful thank you well i appreciate you taking that time welcome back everybody it is time once again for your favorite my favorite, hopefully Dan's favorite, the Studio Simon Stumpers segment of Baseball by Design, designer extraordinaire of Studio Simon, Dan Simon. Dan, how are you? I am flipping fantastic. 
flipping fantastic. We've added an adverb to the adjective this time. So that's uh, that's good to know. We are talking about the Aberdeen Ironbirds today. This is a fun brand. And I got to speak with KJ Jimenez for the first time ever on this podcast. And so that was uh, really fun, a new designer to feature on this podcast. And now I get to talk to you again, as I do every week on Studio Simon Stumpers. We're going to talk about airplanes. We're going to talk about maybe uh, the Marvel um, Iron Man movies, or maybe we'll talk about Cal Ripken Jr. We can talk about Billy Ripken baseball cards. I don't know what this is going to be. So let's, uh, I'll hand it over to you, Dan Simon, wearing a Fort Myers Miracle classic with the M and the palm tree. That's a great hat that you're wearing right now. Well, thank you. Um, it is no longer this team's brand identity. They're, mm -hmm. of course, now the Fort Myers Mighty Muscles. Mm -hmm. um, and coincidentally, the identity about which this episode of the Baseball by Design podcast um, is centered was also a former Studio Simon identity. Um, and speaking of Billy Ripken, he was the one who gave the creative direction on that identity. But alas, it was replaced by the one you talked about earlier in this episode. So um, things come and go, Paul. They come and go. So that the the Sam Eagle Sirius Bird logo was yours. Um, yes, the the one that. He looked like an iron bird, and yeah. um, Bill Ripken's direction specifically was he, the uh, the first Iron Man movie had just come out, and he he loved it, and he said, "I want something that feels like Iron Man." So, if you you weren't talking about the logo, but if you can maybe picture it, um, the in the primary logo, the eagle has wings that spread out, and there are Flames coming from beneath the wings, not out like the back, like it would on a jet flying through the air, but lifting off vertically like Iron Man would. That's where that came from. And that was Bill Ripken's direction. This feels like bonus content that should only be available for subscribers. If only yeah. I had subscribers. <laughs> <laughs> Your OnlyFans uh, <laughs> followers. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, so far I've yet to to lure any in with my me wearing a tank top talking about minor league baseball logos on my OnlyFans site. So I, mean, I might need to pump up my advertising for that. So uh, Dan, this is already off the rails here. Let's let's bring it back in. Honestly, I'm I'm constantly discovering new logos that you've created that I didn't realize were yours. And here we go again. I did it again. Now, though, we're talking about, in general, the franchise in general, maybe not specifically that logo, but the franchise in general, the Aberdeen Ironbirds. Well, and we we mentioned um, Iron Man. Mm -hmm. And of course, Cal Ripken Jr.'s nickname, for good reason, was the Iron Man. Mm -hmm. um, prior to him, of course, we had Lou Gehrig, who was known as the Iron Horse. Mm -hmm. And what our... Studio Simon Stumper today is going to reference is the original Major League Baseball Iron Man, who was Iron Man Joe McGinnity, who played 10 seasons from 1899 to 1908, and he was inducted into the Hall of Fame way back in 1947. So though he 
quote unquote, only played 10 seasons. In those 10 seasons, he averaged 344 innings pitched. Um, to put that into perspective, it's kind of a notable accomplishment nowadays if a pitcher goes 200 innings in a season. Mm -hmm. So to average 344 innings over 10 um, years is, is quite a difference. Um, and thus the name Iron Man Joe McGinnity. Um, in 1903, he pitched a career high 434 innings for the New York Giants. Check this line out. In that season, he, had, he, he pitched in 55 games, 48 of which were games started, and 44 of those were complete games. Just craziness. That is insane. But that 434 innings, that's not a record for most um, innings pitched in a season. So with that in mind, mm. our studio Simon Stumper today asks, is the major league record for most innings pitched in a season in the 400s? Is it in the 500s? Or is it in the 600s? So 444 feels... That's and that's what you said his high was Joe McGinnity. 434. 434 was Joe McGinnity's high. And that sounds pretty darn high. He had all those complete games. He had 48 games started, 44 complete games. It's hard to imagine beating that by like more than 10 or 20%, which would still put you well, if you beat that by 20%, you'd be barely in the 500s. I can't imagine getting into the 600s. I mean, there's only so many games in the season that you can actually start. So I am going to go with, I'm going to say there was some extraordinary season where someone started and finished more games than that. I'm going to say that someone made it into the 500s. I think the 600s is too far of a stretch. I'm going to say 500s. I was figuring that's what you would guess. And I'm sorry to inform you that it's <laughs> hard as it is to believe. The answer is 600. And, and it was actually closer to 700. So check this out. Now, <laughs> this was in 1879. Baseball was a very, very different game than it is today. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, think about how different the game of baseball is today compared to 20 years ago, you know, the, the way pitching is, you know, the, the, the number of innings pitchers pitch, the number of strikeouts that batters rack up. Um, so the answer is actually, well, the, I gave the answer. It's 600s. In 1879, Will White of the Cincinnati Reds, he pitched a whopping, are you sitting down? Here I am. You can see I'm sitting down. <laughs> well, for I was that was for our our uh, listeners. So, I see uh, that was for effect. I thought you were literally asking me if I was sitting down. Okay. He pitched a whopping 680 innings. Wow. He pitched in 76 games, 75 of which were games started, and all 75 of those were complete games. Hmm. Craziness. And here's what's amazing. As if that's not amazing enough, the, those um, 434 innings pitched by um, Iron Man Joe McGinnity, 
that was topped 144 times in <laughs> baseball history, meaning 13 times pitchers pitched 600 plus innings. Another 59 times pitchers pitched 500 plus innings. So it's it's crazy. The last time a pitcher topped 300 innings was in 1980. Mm. Um, Great which, year for baseball. For Philly fans, especially, um, you know, we're talking 43 years ago. And speaking of the Phillies, that's when Steve Carlton of the Philadelphia Phillies pitched 304 innings. So that was 43 years ago. Um, and the most in the live ball era, that, that means since 1920, was in 1972 when Wilbur Wood, a knuckleballer for the Chicago White Sox, threw 376 and two-thirds innings. Um, I remember, I, I'm dating myself, but I remember that season and I remember Wilbur Wood pitching in both ends of a doubleheader then. You know, that's something you you won't see. Now, keep in mind, he was a knuckleballer, so um, his arm did not uh, go through the wear and tear that a, a Bob Gibson or a Steve Carlton's arm would have. So, um, The fact that 144 people have topped that number since then kind of feels like 100 years from now, if there were 144 people who had played more consecutive games than Cal Ripken did. Like, I mean, that's how, that's what that feels like to me, especially since the guy had the nickname, the Iron Man. So that's, uh, those are, those, all of those stats are, are sort of mind blowing to me. I wonder if in 1879, someone could throw 675 innings because they were throwing the ball 40 miles an hour, right? Like, I just wonder how different the game was and, and, you know, they're throwing that grapefruit. That's not even something to wonder about. That was indeed the case. Now, they weren't, throwing the ball necessarily 40 miles per hour, but nobody was topping a hundred back then. And I, I, I have seen, you know, you go on YouTube and there are, you can see like film video of film of like the 1952 world series, whatever. Right. And the pitches are just, they, they are, it's kind of close to like lobbing the ball in, you know, right. they are, they are not throwing heat. They just, they didn't. And so, you know, you go back to the turn of that particular century. By the way, of, of all of those instances of pitchers pitching, um, you know, throwing more uh, innings than Ironman Joe McGinnity's 434 innings in, in 1903, all but one of those instances happened pre-1900. So, okay. you know. What's really interesting is how rare Tommy John surgery was in the late 1800s. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, what's a, what's astounding is how common it is today. If you, I was looking the other day about looking at the the current injured list, and it is astounding how many play how many pitchers are out for the season with arm or shoulder related injuries. Their their pitchers are dropping like flies. It's it's makes it makes it pretty hard to manage a fantasy baseball team, which, by the way, I am uniquely terrible at. I am not a good fantasy baseball player. I still enjoy it for the social aspects, but man, don't ever bet any money on me winning at fantasy baseball. Dan Simon, thank you so much for coming on and and bringing this great uh, uh, information and enjoyable conversation. And now I have a a third person to associate with Iron Man 
in addition to Robert Downey Jr. and Cal Ripken, and now Joe McGinnity. Dan, thanks very much. We'll see you next week. You're welcome. See you then.